0: So we've been, as a church, studying this letter that the Apostle James wrote. And we're going to be looking at it in James chapter 5 today. Uh, someone asked if we're going to be finishing James today. The answer is found actually in the verse today when it says, let your no be no. So without doubt, we, <laughs> we will not finish today. That's a hard no. No. Uh, but I will give you a little rundown. We are going to be studying the book of James all the way through Good Friday, and our Good Friday service, I hope that you can come to, because that's really when we transition to thinking about what we're about to celebrate. We are marching towards another year where we where we think about the empty tomb. So we're going to study James up until our Easter celebration, which is right around the corner. Happy spring, everybody. We made it out of the winter, and it uh, looks like most of us made it. Some of us... Probably the Lord sent somewhere else. So um, Easter's coming. We'll be in James till Easter. After Easter, we will be studying to be determined. So please pray along with the pastors and myself as we uh, just really look for what God's putting our heart to teach. James chapter 5 says this in verse 12. But above all my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath but let your yes be yes and your no no lest you fall into judgment we will look at just this verse today and really as we go through it it's three verses packed into one so there will be three distinct sections that we'll look at but the principle is all we're really going to discuss it actually reminds me of a quote as he says above all else. He's going to narrow down everything that we've been talking about into this one principle let your yes be yes. There's a quote, maybe you've heard it, it's by a, a, a person that was very wise in a time gone by. His name was Albert Einstein, and he says this The definition of genius is taking the complex and making it simple. That is true in every category of your life. God calls you to very complex things as husbands, wives, parents, followers of Christ. And yet, Jesus comes and says, Here's how you do it. It's kind of like a story, it's like this very simple truth that will take the rest of your life to, to unlock. And I bring that up now because James gives us a very simple truth Stick to your word when you commit to do something, when you say, I'm going to do that, yes means yes. And when you have, by God's grace, seen what you're not supposed to do with your life, no means no. That's the simple, complex truth boiled down into one statement. And James says, above everything else. So think about what he's saying. We have spent since last year looking at five chapters in James that have given us some really key principles to live by. Specifically, the book of James starts, which lays the context for all of our studying in it and for where we find ourselves in the world, if you fall into trouble, whenever you find yourself in various trials or testing of your faith, count it joy. And we were gravitating towards that simple encouragement because trial, trouble, frustration contention the last couple years have been a case study in what do believers do when life gets hard and so this verse or this this whole book of the bible has been very helpful because as we've stated this is like a playbook for believers when troubling times occur not if but when and the troubling times have occurred yesterday last week last month and for the last couple of years and it's taken us months to, to unpack all of the different ways that when trial hits, our faith isn't shaken. Why? Because we have joy. Knowing that there's something we're not seeing quite yet, but with God's perspective in how he works out the faith that we put in him, joy is possible, even in the midst of, of trying times. So I hope that that's been cultivated in your hearts and in your minds as the news feeds hits time and time again. Okay, God. Make this something where I trust you so fully that my heart is content and joyful. But what if you don't have it? Okay, pray for wisdom. There's a whole nother sermon series on how do you get joy? Get God's perspective by getting wisdom. How do you get wisdom? You better have humility because your wisdom and God's wisdom are going to butt heads. And it's only when you have the humble faith to receive like a child receives from a father in humility that you can live out the wisdom God gives you. Great. Great. And you're also going to need patience because the wisdom that God gives you is not an instant cure to fix all of your problems, and it doesn't end the trial immediately. It gives you the endurance and patience to keep going, which is what we've been talking about the last three weeks. Uh, May you be blessed with patience as you go through your trial, as you go through your uncertain times in life and following God and living in the 21st century. May you have patience. And then James comes to this moment and says, But above all of that, above joy, wisdom, above humility and patience, you better stay true to your commitments. Because you don't get any of it. If you listen to a sermon on each one of these categories and you say, sounds good, I like it. Well, it sounds good on Sunday, but Monday comes. And what happens? It sounds really good from my mouth, but what happens when it comes from the word in your quiet time? or when it comes at the time you least want to hear the word of God preached. Do you have the ability to say yes to what you've said yes to and know what you've said no to? Because if you don't, none of the other things are going to be enjoyed. You will waver, as James says, like the wave of a sea with your doubt and your insecurity and your inability to follow God. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Very short sermon in three parts. The first part is found in the first half of this verse, so let let us read it again. But above all else, brethren, do not swear. So he actually starts, yes, no, with a no. (laughs) This is what you don't do. Don't swear by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. So there's some real ancient context to this, Uh, before you had computers and uh, the ability to get notaries and things signed, you you really had to be clear with your verbal contracts. And there was ways where verbal contracts had to have layers to protect all of the things you didn't think about. We're not that way so much anymore. Um, There's still a lot of cultural references to the way that we need to hear this and to be very cautious with what we're putting our yes on and how we're making our oaths. One of the ways, maybe the the most surface-level ways that you can relate to this, actually was brought to you by our worship pastor this week because as we were preparing this Sunday, as we often do, he'll text me or call me and say, where are we going to be? And I'll say, I'm still waiting on that. (laughs) But this particular week, I said, I actually know we're going to be talking about not making oaths by the moon or the stars. And so then he meditates and contemplates on how to praise God and worship him in a way where songs can put into, uh, activate our hearts in the way that our ears just heard. And he he initially sent me a song that we wouldn't play. So I'll share it with you now because it actually did give me a reference point to why this might be something we should caution. Remember the band All for One? Everyone's like, nope. (laughs) Well, All for One sang a song you definitely remember. I'll, I'll read the lyrics to you now. It says, and I swear... If Noah were, you know, ready to sing, maybe he could come and lead us in this. It says, I swear by the moon and the stars in the sky, I'll be there. And I swear like the shadow that's by your side, I'll be there. Now, Noah jokingly said, we're not going to sing that song. Well, we would never sing a non-praiseworthy song. But also, that song takes me back to a time where we all were kind of learning the lesson. Be careful what you swear to. Remember when this song first hit your ears? If it was like me, you were standing across from some junior high girl you don't even know the name of anymore, and you're like, I, I'm committing to you. I'm going to be with you, and eventually I'm going to talk to you outside of class. And maybe you all remember a time when you're like that committed, and you're that eager, and you're that passionate to say, for the rest of my life, count it on the stars, I'll be there. And then time catches up to your commitments. And life catches up to your commitments. And you realize you were pretty zealous and eager in all of the ways you put your word on something that you had no ability or endurance to back up. So now we're getting somewhere. Now we have a reference point to where James can come in and bring it to a more serious tone and say, don't be that person in the way that you deal with others. And so in their times set aside all for one, here's what one commentator does to very quickly explain what was happening in ancient oral tradition contract days. It says this, this is by David Gusick. Many Jewish people in the time James wrote made distinctions between binding oaths and non-binding oaths. Oaths that did not include the name of God were considered non-binding, and such oaths were a way of crossing your fingers behind your back when telling a lie. It is the kind of oaths that James Condemned. So anytime we are doing one of the anti-commandments or forbidding something for us to practice as a way of life, we also have to pull out the nuance and say, those are the kind of things that James was leery of. When people start making so many claims about how trustworthy they are, but they keep having to up the ante because the last time, well, the last time you swore on the temple, this time you're going to swear on the temple's gold because you need to up the ante. In some ways, what we do with our word when it's not very strong is we have to elevate through grand gestures above our own reputation. So if you have a reputation as a flaky, unreliable, uncommitted person, you have to do more to convince people to trust you which is what James is actually getting at. So the nuance is, this does not mean we can't take a vow of marriage. In fact, the exception proves the rule. We should celebrate some of these ways that our yes is absolutely yes. And this doesn't mean we can't take a vow unto the Lord through some amazing sacraments like baptism. It means your yes is now going to be your yes, and you better be sure what you're willing to put your yes on. And that is what James is actually getting at. Here's one commentator's view of this. And this actually came up when we went through a very similar passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 5. As Jesus, in the same way that we've seen this happen so many times, where the Sermon on the Mount bleeds right into the teachings of James, Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no, no. And remember the context. He was trying to save people from wasting a bunch of energy on the show that would impress people and not considering what actually matters before God in the quiet and in the private and in the secret. And there's all this religious theater that can come up with giving, and you sound the trumpet to give so that people would see you. And you make these long prayers in the street corners so that people would know how spiritual you are. And in the same way, people have to elevate their ability to keep their word as a religious theater so people could trust you, because in your quiet place, you're actually not very trustworthy at all. Here's how one commentator put it. People love to substitute ceremony for integrity. And I love how he put that, because if we stay true to the simplicity of genius, then this sermon's really about one word. And that word is, are you a person of integrity? Are you a person that someone else can, can live life with and, and make agreements with? and make plans and commitments with, and they don't have to have you convince them every time that you will be there. Here's the word for integrity, a firm adherence to a code of moral values. The simplicity of what James is saying today is, are you a person of integrity? And as we reference the Sermon on the Mount, and you wanted one word to describe what Jesus is giving his followers, it is integrity. See, this is how you're blessed. It is not through self-righteousness. It is through vulnerability and honesty before God, the Beatitudes. This is how you seek God, not in religious theater, but with integrity before God, knowing the depths of your heart, not just what your words say. This is a message to put all of our feet to the fire of God's word, to say, do our words match up with our level of commitment to what we say we believe? So what we say, we do in response to what the Word is calling us to do. Here's how a much older theologian puts it. This is a Jewish philosopher from the first century. And I I appreciate the reference points that go way back in time, to the very time of the writing of James. This was true as James wrote to a church scattered abroad. And it was true before James showed up on the scene because this is a human nature problem for us to be so committed with our words and our yeses that they actually lose value. This is what the first century Jewish philosopher said, false swearing naturally springeth out of much swearing. You say yes to too many things, and eventually your yes will be a no, because we sometimes get really eager with what we think we have the capacity to take on and commit to and do and There's some great things that maybe the Lord will put on your heart this morning and some great opportunities you're going to hear about in the afternoon and some people that you can hang out with later. And the more that you put your yes on something, the more likely it is that you probably overcommitted yourself. I think about how many of us have lost the value of this conversation, myself included, by the way. The value of yes is kind of like the value of money. You print too much of it, and it's not worth very much. And one of the challenges of our time is that every turn and every corner that you take, there is a commitment waiting for you, for you to give your answer to. Uh, There's an artist that, I've heard about this exhibit and, and it came to my mind this week. He wanted to make a show of how often it is that we give away our commitments without even knowing it. So he came out with an art exhibit called I Agree. And the I Agree art exhibit, all he did this is modern art, right? All he did was print out the actual terms of agreements for the five major social media platforms and show people what they're actually saying yes to. And as you can see, the agreement's a lot longer than a scroll and a click. Uh, the one on the far right goes all the way from the ceiling past the floor. With things that you said, I agree, click here, initial here, TM here, and now you can put your photos anywhere you want. You're like, finally, I just wanted to get to a place where I could share a photo. Inflation makes something lose its value. And every time we click, I agree, I confirm, every time we initial, every time we sign, we are putting our name on something. Now, all of these things are permissible, It's not wrong to put your name on things. But what James is calling for us today to to do is to say, are we people who put our names on things with the intent to follow through? As this service ended, I talked to a woman after, and she said, you know, one of the biggest frustrations I have in life is when I get an invite from Facebook. And then the story ended. No, I'm kidding. Then she went on. It's like... She said, because when you get an invite nowadays, you get yes, no, or maybe. And she says, maybe this is just my world. But everybody puts maybe. Nobody actually wants to say, I will be here at a certain time. Because why? Because anything could come up at any moment. And at any moment, the thing you could commit to could have something better. Or the thing you could commit to could turn out to be something that's not very fun or enjoyable and you just want to get out of it. And so we live in the generation of maybe. And she's not wrong. Uh, We all have these things where we want to commit to things, but we want to leave our options open. And so James says, don't come to a place where your word has lost all its value and now you're pleading with people to believe you by putting your name attached to things like the moon or the stars or heaven forbid, God's name himself. Do not try to elevate your reputation by bringing down God's. Don't swear on anything. Instead... Be a person of integrity. Instead, as we'll read in the second half of verse 12, but you, rather, contrasted, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, lest you fall into judgment, which we will look at at the very end. Contextually, most sermons that you'll hear preached on yes, be yes, and no be no have everything to do with integrity, which is true. In fact, this sermon shared the word integrity with you. And oftentimes, you'll study the book of James, and you'll hear this this thing that's true about the book of James. It's like the New Testament Proverbs, which means you can read it, and, and sections throughout the book of James almost feel independent from each other, and you're just getting these nuggets of wisdom given to us by James, which is great. But... There's also some real rich context here that I find very helpful when I ask the question, why now, James? Why are you telling us to be people of integrity now? Why are you telling us to stick to our word now? And the answer is found in the very beginning of the letter. When you go through hard times, when you're going through a trial, put your details, insert your your actual life moment here, it is not the time to change your mind. You make a commitment, and it will be hard, and it will be challenged, and you'll wrestle with it. And when the trial hits, let your yes be yes. Do not allow a trial or a difficult season of your life to cause you to question the commitments you made when you were thinking reasonably. That's one of the things that James is saying. And It's one of the ways that this is a continuation from the entire conversation James has for the real-life persecution this church is going through. They are being abused, they've been persecuted, they've lost their homes, and they're struggling to find work. And the people that are giving them work are taking their wages from them. This is a real-life trial of endurance, and James is encouraging them now, don't change your mind, endure. Endure. Don't question what you got yourself into because it got hard. So, for the top of endurance and commitment, I can't help but think of a very appropriate parable, which often comes up in our study of James, as, as you may have noticed. Now, this parable is not from the Bible. This is actually a, par- a modern parable from more of a poet than a theologian. I find it helpful because I've studied it a lot with young kids in my household. The author's name is Dr. Seuss. And, and, and this is the storyline. I, I, and trust me, I do not want to share this. I'm like, Lord, I don't want to share a parable about an elephant. Hear, hear me, though. There's the context of this. A bird does not want to hatch her own egg. So she finds an elephant that's walking by, and she's like, hey, do you want to sit on this egg for a minute? I'll be right back. Well, as the story goes, she doesn't come back, but he committed to do it. He said, I will do it. I will sit on this egg and see it through. And the whole story, now that I know what it's trying to say based off the book of James, the whole story is how to endure when things get really hard. And the story takes him through summer turning to winter and how cold that is. The story takes him through other animals mocking him for how stupid he looks. And the story takes him through, as the picture shows, gunpoint, people wanting what he has, wanting him to be moved. And so now I share that because I'm like, yes, God, you have called me to do something that seems so upside down. You have called me to share your word. I feel like an elephant sitting on an egg. You have called people in the body of Christ to do things that are so outside their natural giftings that they will be ridiculed, they'll be mocked, people will make fun of them, they'll be persecuted, people will try to get them off the calling that they had in you. And what happens in the moment of endurance? How does he stay true? I meant what I said, and I said what I meant. An elephant's faithful 100%. There is an endurance that will come as you think about the commitment you made and that's all it is. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. This is harder than I expected. This is shameful. This is embarrassing. But I said I was going to do it. And I'm not going to stop until I see it through. This is the call of discipleship. God will call you to do something you never thought you would do. And then life will happen. You know what you're going to think? Why did I say yes to this? Why did I say that I would follow the call of God into ministry? Why did I say that I would forsake all others and commit to one? Why did I say that I would raise these kids in the way that they should go? All of these things outside of your natural ability... All of these things outside of what is your comfort level. And you know, one of the ways that you'll get through, not the only way, God will give you all sorts of encouragement so that you can endure. See last week's sermon. But one of the ways you will endure is by this simple commitment to saying yes to the thing you said yes to. When ministry gets hard, and marriage gets hard, and college gets hard, and the call of God in your life, and parenting, and the workplace, and being separate and set apart to be a light in the dark, all seems ridiculous. One of the tools in the tool belt that James says is above all else, remember where you started. Remember the joy of saying yes. Remember the excitement by which you couldn't wait to say yes. And when the ridicule and persecution and doubt comes, you meant what you said. And you said what you meant. And a believer is faithful to God. And there is no wavering in his commitment. Except that there is. The, the art of what we're doing right now is that the word of truth is going out and you before God will be asked to respond to what he puts on your heart with an affirmative or a negative, with a yes or a no, with obedience or disobedience. And the practice of this right now, Jesus says, is going to have mixed results. Some of you will hear this word, and you will receive it gladly, and you will endure. And yet others, from the very beginning, Jesus says, when the word is preached, one of the results will be that your yes was never actually a yes. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 13, the parable of the sower. We mention it often because it's real time right now. There are four soil types. There are some who receive, and there are some who miss it. And this is what one of the soil types that we must be leery of today in the context of James 5.12 Jesus says this, he who received the seed in the stony place, the picture of the farmer casting his seed, and there's rocks, there's stones to step on, lest you get muddy. And when the seed lands on the stone, it doesn't go deep. It doesn't actually grab root, as Jesus will say. He hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself. Immediately receives it with joy surely there will be some things that some of you hear today and you're like, I want that. I'm excited for that. I'm buying that. And yet, unless it's real, not between me and you, not between a sermon in your ears, but unless God has access to the depth of your heart to plant his seed and to grow it through rain, storms, Look what Jesus says will happen. When tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, because of the word you said yes to, you received with joy, immediately he stumbles. I wanted it until it got hard. I was following Christ with everything I was until the persecution came until the trouble came, until the world that seems so clear went dark. You receive it with joy, and unless there's a real experience of the word implanted in your heart, your yes becomes a no, and you lose it, and you do not endure. And this is what Jesus is warning us against for the purposes of today. I'm so excited on Sunday, but I'm not so sure on Monday. And it will be true of every commitment that you make. There is no commitment that God asks you to follow him in that does not require endurance and struggle and prayer and hope and belief that on the other side of all of the things you don't see, but God does, he will bless you. And how many of us have gone through these hot and cold moments with our faith? I receive it with joy. And now I'm not so sure. One of the remedies, let your yes be yes. I was talking to a brother in Christ about this passage. He said, you know, this really helps me understand a a common misconception that I have with the phrase, taking the name of the Lord in vain. Oftentimes, we think of that in the context of not swearing. Because that is the great offense that the holy and living God who has revealed himself and given us his name, that we would use it in an unholy way. Certainly that's there in the Lord's name in vain. But he said, even deeper still, don't put the name of the Lord on yourself in vain. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I went to church, I believe. You can call me a Jesus follower, apprentice of Christ, a, a 21st century Christian, I love it. If that's true, your yes better be yes, because now when you do business, when you greet your neighbor, when you are an example to your family, you bear the name of the Lord. Let your yes be yes. When you receive him, do not receive him with joy that has no root. Receive the Lord with the weight of the promise that in this world, you'll have much trouble. To receive the Lord is to receive him with a cross. To crucify your old life, to live unto the newness of life is not something that anyone should take lightly. Difficult is the way. The Oswald Chamber, uh, Upmost for the Highest, has a devotional for every day. I encourage you all to read it. I enjoy it every morning. I'm in a devotional thread for uh, Upmost for the Highest, and this came up this week. I loved it for the context of what we're studying this morning. Oswald Chamber was talking about how the Lord stretches us in genuine faith for him. And then he says this, the final stage in the, in the life of faith is the attainment of character. And that stage, for whatever reason, seems to get forgotten. Forgotten. We, we love the stage of salvation. We love the stage of meeting the Lord face to face. Well done, good and faithful servant, enter into heaven. But by God's design, the, the moment we, we say yes to his salvation and we actually meet him has a lot of time in between. And in that time in between, God is shaping us and making us people that can be his representative on earth. And I say that to encourage us and remind us that the idea of having a yes be yes and a no be no is not a good idea from James. It's certainly not something that I'm going to show you how to do perfectly so that you can see it in me. This is simply James calling us to the reflection of the Father. Our God is a yes, is a yes be yes God. Our God does not waver or change or change his mind. Our God is a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when we think about who God is for us, it is with that reflection that we can be that for the world we live in. A faithful follower of Christ must believe in the faithful heart of God. And that is why James has been reminding of us of where this faithfulness comes from, from the beginning. Look what he says in James chapter one, verse 16. Now, mind you, in the beginning of James, he says, if you ask for wisdom, ask, God will give it, but don't doubt, because you'll be double-minded and you won't get anything from God, because we do doubt and we are double-minded. But to remedy that, he points us to the heart of God in a few verses later in in chapter one, verse 16, don't be deceived. My beloved brethren, every good and perfect gift is from above and comes from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. God's wisdom is true 2,000 years ago and today. God's love for you is true yesterday today and forever the free gift of salvation his forgiveness that he offers the power of the holy spirit freely given are all yes and amen for anyone who believes and as you go through life and start to question your commitment to christ you may start to question god's commitment to you uh, this trial's hard why did i ever listen to god in the first place and by the way god are you even good This trial is really hard. When God called me, I had visions of good works prepared beforehand that I would enjoy and have fruit and faithfulness, and my life would be glorious. And it will be. But the trial comes, and you start to wonder if God is faithful. God has no variation of turning. And one of the ways that our faith will be made secure is remembering that God does not waver. This is what Paul says to the church in Corinth. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now, he who establishes us with you in Christ has anointed us in God, who also sealed us and has given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Do you wonder is the power of the Spirit assuring your heart that God is for you. That the promises of God do not change. The plans of God are not thrown off because the plans of man seem so dominant. The sovereignty of God is sure. God's plan to save you and sanctify you and get you to where you need to be does not change because the trial hit. God is faithful. And it's with that confidence that we say, now my yes will be yes, and my no will be no. We already talked about one of the vows that we make openly, but I encourage you to think about the yes that you represent today. James is speaking to believers. That's why he said brethren. And one of the ways that this can be simplified for your first yes to help you endure to the end is the moment that you made a declarative statement in baptism. And if you've been baptized, if you've put your faith in Christ, you have made a yes to follow him. And I love that we have an anchor point of our faith by which we entered and we allowed the whole world to see, just like a ceremony of of marriage. I believe in Jesus and I'm going to follow him. It says in Romans, for the death that he died, he died for once and, and for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also. Reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ. There is a fork in the road that your no lives in your old life and your, li- your yes lives in the life of Christ and you have made that commitment on baptism. So the trial's here. Remember the joy of your salvation when you got in the water and you came out excited for God? Let your yes be yes. Remember the day of salvation, you received the free gift of grace and you said, God, I will do anything. You gave me your son. You took away my sins on the cross. You died the death I should have died so I can live the life that you've called me to. I will do anything. Let that yes be yes. And then he said, God, I am so sorry now that I have the revelation of your will and your goodness for my life and and your 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 plans are are to give me life abundant and not to hinder me. I don't want to do the stuff I used to do. I no longer want to live in the world. I no longer want to Harden my heart to the good plans that you have for me. Let your no be no. And go all the way back to the beginning if you must. And then allow that to stream, allow that to to be upstream from all of the other categories of your life. Husbands and wives. I just did a wedding last week. And then I I, I checked in on them. I called. I said, it's been a week. How's everything going? (laughs) Uh, No refunds. It's like, how are you doing? Doing pretty good. Okay, let's talk again in another week because those of you who've been married longer than 14 days know that at some point, as beautiful as the vows were, life is going to get hard. Bills are going to come in and you're going to start to realize a lot of things that didn't come in the first report. It's like, I didn't know she chewed that loud. And she's like, I didn't know he snored. (laughs) And I didn't know that kids were going to totally ruin our dating life. I love my kids, by the way, if they're listening. All of these uncertain things, it's like trial, tension, frustration, hardship, not planned, not honeymoon, not life everlasting, or not happily ever after. Let your yes be yes. Don't change your mind because things get hard. And when you said you'd forsake all others, let your no be no. You said no to everybody else. Stay focused on that yes that changed your life. And now that things are hard, My answer is still yes. Your parents to your children. You held them in your arms on the day they were born, and you said, I'll do anything for this child. And then they got a license. (laughs) you're like, hmm, probably on your own now. Let your yes be yes. The Lord has given you every office of your life as a commitment that you make to him, and you're not supposed to waver on any of them. Until we see him face to face, we run our race looking to the Lord and saying, I've decided to follow Jesus, I'm not turning back. My answer was yes then, my answer is yes today, and even though things get hard, my answer is even more yes now. Lest I fall into judgment. We now look at the last verse. Lest you fall into judgment. I wanna say two things about this. James has actually had a lot to say about judgment. And I think one of the reasons is, all of this, James is framing into the context of a test, a trial. A testing of your faith so you would know what's genuine and you would know what was on shaky ground. And in testing and in trial, there is a grade, and that's the judgment. How did you do in the trying times of your faith? Unto God, faith, rejoicing, and joy will be met with blessing, encouragement. Well done, faithful servant. And the times where you shook your fist, hardened your heart, and turned your back... You'll be judged. You're, you fell outside of God's plan for the trial. And not only that, James is speaking specifically into a moment where the conversation with these believers has a target on judgment. Remember what happened in James chapter 5, verse 4. He said, Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the, their, their cry has met the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth the Lord of judgment, the Lord of hosts, the Lord will make things right. And when we looked at that for the the whole time that we studied it, it was an encouragement to say, believers, you will be taken advantage of at times. There will be times when life is frustrating and non-believers have their way. There will be times when the church is not the prevailing light of the world. It sometimes feels like it's being pushed to the outer limits and the prevailing voice of the world is the principalities of darkness. And we looked at that and we said, don't worry though, because anybody who has fraud, anybody who's done something with their words and with their agreements to gain at someone else's expense will be judged and God will deal with them. And now James is saying, so hold fast. Don't play their game. As others have manipulated you with their words, have not kept up to the wages they promised, have committed fraud hold fast. Don't change the game plan. You keep following Christ. You keep using God's wisdom that's different than theirs. You keep having joy apart from the initial trial. God will deal with them, but don't get lumped into their judgment by grumbling against each other and then going back on your word. Let God judge the non-believers and don't get tangled up in it. The second thing, as we think about how we live this out, Jesus has a word to say about our words and judgment. And this is what he says in Luke chapter 12. There is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and whatever you have spoken in the inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. You know, we, we live in a time where the light of the world has come but there's still some shadows of darkness. There's still some ways that you you may think you can say one thing and do another because that's just the world we live in. Well, here's the reality. There is a God who is sovereign, who knows your words. He knows your actions behind those words. And there will be a day when the light of the world consumes it with glory where there'll be no shadows. There'll be no darkness. There will no longer be an inner room where things are kept secret. All things will be revealed. And those of us in the depths of our heart and our quiet place are proclaiming our trust and our love and our confidence in God and his perfect will, even beyond what we can see. We get to proclaim that. God, you're good. Our tongue confess you. Our knees bow. What we spoke in the quiet place is now proclaimed to the whole world. And there will be times where what we believe is not actually coming out of our mouths. Where we make commitments only to go back on them. Where we say we're going to follow Jesus, but we're actually doing our own thing. And that will all be revealed. There is a day where you will actually give an account for the way your words match up to your life. And the word, by God's grace, is giving us an invitation to say, live with integrity before God. Make your commitments with people as though you made them to God. Because he's watching and he's listening. And there will be a day when you meet him face to face. So again, we, we have two responses to this. Believers, I'm so glad you put your faith in Christ. I'm glad that you're my brothers and you're my sisters. And I'm glad that God has got us as a little family that he's protecting and caring for in trying times of our world. May we endure with confidence the same yes that we had for God in the beginning, may we have today. God, your word is true. Your plans are good. We know that your salvation is free, and by your grace, we have life abundant. Stand on the truth. This is the rock that we stand on. Some of you are not quite yet believers. No, you're church attendants and you're listeners, but you have not said yes to God. You have not said, God, I give you all my life. And my yes includes everything. And I also say no to the life that I once lived apart from you. This is an amazing day for you to say, I want to live for you. I don't want to be a person that gets tossed around by the flaky culture that I live in. I want to stand on the rock of truth. And God says, through his son, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. You put your confidence in the source of all truth today and let your yes be yes.